0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thanks, Pastor Keith. Well, like he said, we're going to be in the Luke chapter 16 today. So a couple things as we get there. Uh, One... If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that last week we were in chapter 14, and some of you are going, wait, what happened to chapter 15? We actually preached through chapter 15 a few weeks ago at our Fall Family Fest, and so we jumped forward to jump back to jump forward again, and so we haven't missed it, and it's a great chapter. If you missed uh, that that sermon from the Fall Family Fest weekend, you can go online and listen to that and catch up. Uh, Pastor Keith presented this really amazing illustration for that sermon that you don't want to miss. And so amongst a, it's a great sermon, this illustration was worth every moment. And so if you weren't there that Sunday, or you weren't able to chime in online that Sunday, be sure to go back and watch that online. It was great. But we will be starting chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this morning. And a couple of things I want to do. I want to spend some time teaching this morning, and then I want to spend a little bit of time preaching. Can I do that? You guys know the difference? No, you don't? Good question. Well, essentially, I want to walk us through and and just answer some key uh, key questions about this passage. Give you a better understanding, define some terms, give that kind of structure to it. And then I really think the Lord's got something powerful, and that's when I get to preach in this word, is just to hopefully let the Lord speak to your heart through what he's trying to teach us in the passage. And before I get there, I I want to tell the story of when I was a, a, a youth pastor I don't know if I'm old enough to say this, but way back in the day, uh, I was at a church and I was a middle school guy and uh, I wanted an intern. And so the church said, yeah, you can absolutely have an intern, but we don't have any money for you. We don't really have any structure for you. And, you know, at the time, admittedly, I felt like I was the middle school guy and like, no one cares about the middle school kids. I was that youth pastor, and so I was going to make much of the idea of middle school ministry ministries the best ministry ever in the church. Um, I still somewhat believe that in many ways because I love middle school kids. Um, but I had this intern coming on, but I couldn't like, get to a point. He needed money. He was a starving college student, and so how do we get creative with this? And so I put on my creativity hat, and I was like, well, let's just find people to pay you because that makes sense. Like, the church can't invest in it, but let's just find other people to support your ministry throughout the summer. That sounds good. We do this for missions trips, right? You out, you raise support, you send letters. I'm like, this makes complete sense. And so I sat down uh, with, with my intern, Andy, and Andy and I were just creatively thinking through, like, come up. Who are 10 people? If we can get 10 people to, to sponsor or support you with this amount of money uh, once, once a week or once a month, like, you're covered. Like, this will be great, and we don't even have to think about that, and you can actually eat uh, throughout the summer, which is a good thing, and so we got through it. He sent out letters, and um, after that, about a week after that, I get called into my executive pastor's office, um, which as now an executive pastor, I kind of get the the feel of that, uh, and he goes, hey, Jason, um, it came to our attention in our being our senior leadership team, lead pastor, executive pastor, and a couple other positions in the church that uh, that you sent out some letters to raise some money for Andy for your internship. I was like, yeah, that's like that's a it was a creative idea. Like it's going to be awesome. He was like, yeah, the problem is, is that one of those people that he sent letters to was one of the elders. And we had never told we didn't know this and so the elder came to us and kind of put the letter on our senior pastor's desk and said, "Why are we not supporting our staff? Do we have an issue?" And so the senior pastor kind of said, yeah, I didn't know anything about it, caught him off, caught him off guard and everything. So I, I, I got in trouble for, for this creative thought. And my executive pastor said one of the most powerful leadership lessons I've ever heard in ministry, hey, Jason, I love your creativity, and I never want you to stop being creative and thinking through how you can advance ministry forward. Never do that again. And and it was such a, there's a moment of all, and I think the next words out of it, there's nothing but grace here. Never do it again. And there's this point that sometimes we can get so creative with certain things, but sometimes we get creative with the wrong things. And I think it's exactly where Luke is taking us in what he's teaching us about what Jesus is teaching his listeners. So let's dive into this. Chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way down, and then I just want to focus some teaching time on the parable that he's telling us. So chapter 1, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1, he says this, "'He also said to the disciples, "'There was a rich man who had a manager, "'and charges were brought to him "'that this man was wasting his possessions. "'And he called him and said to him, "'What is this that I hear about you? "'Turn in the account of your management, "'for you can no longer be a manager.' "'And the manager said to himself, "'What shall I do since my master "'is taking the management away from me? "'I'm not strong enough to dig, "'and I'm too ashamed to beg.' I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a thousand measures, or a hundred measures of oil, he said to him. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest master for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So... I don't know how many of you guys have read this passage before. It is a little bit confusing. But you can dive into it, and just at face value, you go, Jesus, what are you telling us to do? Are you telling us that dishonesty is okay? Can I just get away with doing uh, creative things for the wrong reasons? Is that okay? Like, is that what Jesus is telling us? So uh, let me break it down. Let me teach a little bit about this passage. Right there in verse 1, there was a rich man. Let's stop right there because I think this is important because Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the rich man or the wealthy. You can go back to chapter 12 and you see. You can go back to chapter 14 and understand how he's unfolding the idea of wealth in in his teaching. Chapter 15, we see it uh, with a prodigal son who went out and took his inheritance and threw it all away. And we're going to see it later on, even down in verse 14, right after the passages we're talking about today, he calls the Pharisees the lovers of money. Jesus is pointing out there's an issue with the rich man. There's an issue with money in our culture. This is really important for us. Because to understand this, we can understand that that he wants us to shift our attention to something different. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is not telling us that money is bad. One of our elders said it this way. It's a neutral thing. It's what you do with the money that can be bad or amazing. But it's the idea that if we get caught up in this idea of being rich or wealthy, and that is our focus. And Jesus is taking that, and he's starting to to break it down for his listeners, for his disciples, for the other parts of the crowd that are hearing in on his teaching. And he's pointing out there's an issue with a heart in this process. When money becomes the root of who you are, when wealth becomes all that you focus after, something's off. And even going back to last week's sermon, when Pastor Keith talked about the cost of discipleship, he made the statement, are we stewarding his resources for his glory? Speaking of God's resources for God's glory and such a powerful question. And so when you look at what God has blessed you with, are you stewarding those things for the glory of God? Or are you trying just to dig yourself out of a hole? Or are you trying to live up to your own glory? Jesus recognizes this is a big issue for humankind. And he's drawing attention to it. Then he goes down into this whole story, which I'm going to come back to that in a second. It's a pretty easy story to understand what's happening, uh, but I'll get there. But he goes down in, in this... Uh, this creative manager, this shrewd manager, he gets commended for his dishonesty. Why in the world would an owner of a business commend somebody who he's just fired because he wasn't doing uh, managing the money well, stewarding the money well, and then come back and say, wow, good job. That's creative thinking. It's a weird part of that story. But what the owner and what Jesus is trying to point out here is that in this point, in this place, this guy got creative. He got creative. He used his brain, maybe, honestly, for the first time in his point as an employee of the owner. And he's like, well, you really got, your, got yourself around that one. That's pretty creative. Now, we don't know how the story ends, but I can imagine he didn't keep his job still. But there's this point that there's a crea- creative point uh, in this man's life in his thinking that that's what he was commended for. He wasn't commended for his dishonesty. He was commended for his creativity, and that's even pointed out in the word shrewdness. Now the word shrewdness, if you go back to the root of that and what it's defined in scripture, it means prudent or wise. That you and I think you can add to that to the idea of being creative. You look at something and you say, "Hey, I can I can figure this out." So I know the things that are in front of me. I know how they are, are, are organized. I know how I can rework them a little bit. There's a problem. I can solve it. In the midst of that, there's prudence, there's wisdom, and there's creativity. That's what shrewd means. And so when you get called into that, that shrewdness, it just means, hey, you put on your thinking cap. You took all, all of who you are, all your brain power, and you made something work uh, out of something that didn't look like it could work. Now, why was this guy doing this? Well, he wanted to prepare for himself because he knew he wouldn't keep his job. So once he lost his job, he'd have people that, hey, wow, you, you cut my bill in half. That's, that's, I'm so thankful for that. Absolutely, come over for dinner. If someone called you from Mediacom or American Energy and said, hey, what do you owe this month? Well, I owe $150. That's awesome. Hey, why don't you just pay 25 bucks this month? Would you be inclined to be grateful to him? Maybe into the point of like, hey, walking into your homelet, yeah, let's go have dinner. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. You just saved me 75 some dollars, right? Anyone would do that? When someone does good to you, your, your natural response is, I wanna do good back. And so this guy is what he's trying to create in his circumstances. If I can get people to look at me with favor, then they're gonna have favor for me because I'm about to get kicked out of my job and I have nowhere to go, I don't know how to dig and I, 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 I'm ashamed to beg. I don't wanna be the guy out there on the street. So here's this point to this. There's some character traits about this, uh, this dishonest manager that stand out to me. One, he's greedy because he's taking advantage of his, his owner's money. One, he's fearful The reason you take advantage and the reason you try to work things out your way, especially with money, is because you're afraid, you have fear in your heart that something might go wrong. So you've got to hold on so tight, grasp so tight to everything that you have to not let that go. There's an insecurity in this. This guy's insecure even to the point of, I I can't, I can't, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm too ashamed to beg. There's an insecurity in him. And there's an isolation He has separated himself from all other people. He has separated himself from his clients. He has separated himself from his owner. He has separated himself so much so from maybe his family or his friends that if he loses his job, he has nowhere to go. There's a lot going on in this guy's life. Fear, insecurity, isolation, greed. And as I was thinking about the character traits of this dishonest manager, I go, man, I'm not sure I'm always that far off. I think if I really applied those character traits to myself, I wonder if I'm kind of living in that same space as he was. So we move down a little bit, and then Jesus uses the term unrighteous wealth. What does that mean? Does that mean that all money is unholy or that it's wrong or that, that it's, it's, just, it's dirty money? No. That's not what that term, and it's not what Jesus is teaching here. Essentially, what he's aligning the idea of this wealth with is with our broken world. It's the fact that we can't take that wealth, that, that money, that richness with us when eternity comes. When we stand before the judgment seat, it's not whether you know Jesus and when you don't know Jesus, and if you've got a lot of money, where do you get to take it with you? The money thing is not even an issue. So there's this idea that the the value of money is an earthly value, it's only a human value. Does that make sense? It's as broken as our world is because it's a product of our broken world. Now, in that, it doesn't mean that the money itself is bad because money pays the bills. Money feeds us, it puts uh, food in our mouth, shelter over our heads. It provides for us as a family. Money can come along and help provide for other people as well. It's just part of this world, but it's a broken part and it's a part that we can't take with us. He who dies does not get to take his toys with him, he just dies and it's moving on. Does that make sense? So there's this point of looking at this idea of unrighteous wealth, and it's it's, it's just aligning with the fact of a broken world when Jesus teaches through this. And you can see this too because in verse nine it says, so that when it fails, that this unrighteous wealth will fail, it will come to an end, you may be received into your eternal dwelling. So Jesus is helping us focus our attention towards the future of eternity, with him in the presence of a holy God. Without him, separation from a holy God. Jesus is playing with a lot of contrast in this space. He's contrasting the good and the bad. He's contrasting uh, the the wise and the unwise. He's contrasting dishonesty with honesty. Uh, He's continuing to walk through all of these, these parts and character traits of helping people see the story. But here's the other part about this parable that I want to point out that can be really hard sometimes when we read it. Oftentimes, Jesus will tell parables that we can take the characters of the parables and align them with the person of God or the Father and His Son, so, for example, go back to chapter 15, the prodigal son. It is safe to say that the father in the story of the prodigal son is God. And the prodigal son is us, humans, as same as the son that didn't run away. There's this father relationship with that. And so we think, because we see that often in his parables, that we can do that with every one of Jesus' parables. Let me pause you and say, don't do it, because that's not what Jesus is doing here, nor is that what his consistency in his storytelling and his parable telling is about. In every one of Jesus' parables, he's trying to teach you a greater truth about the brokenness of the world and the holiness of God. The relationship between the two And what he has come to do in the middle of that, to reconcile it. Now, that does not mean that there's always going to be the hero and the victor in the story or the good and the bad. He switches that around, and he's done that here. The owner in the story is not representing God, nor is the manager necessarily representing you. He's telling a story that makes sense to his listeners. They all have jobs They're all responsible for something. They've all been given something to steward and to take care of and to manage. He's speaking to this reality of what the people can understand. And again, going back to the idea of his focus on the rich, he's highlighting the issue that wealth has captured in our hearts. And it's trapping us because we're holding on to it too tight because of our insecurity, because of our greed, because of our fear. Does that all make sense? kind of clarifying the story a little bit. So essentially, let's just go back and get a big picture of the story. Here's a guy who's been dishonest with his owner's stuff, his owner's assets, his owner's money. Owner finds out about it through some channel and says, hey, if you're gonna be a dishonest, I can't have you be a part of my business. And so therefore, you need to turn in all your accounts. You're fired. The dude gets fired straight up and forward. So the guy comes along, and says, I can get creative. He starts getting creative because he wants to help shape what his outcome will be after he walks out of the office. Pack up your box, but along the way, you've got from your desk to the door to make all of these transactions work out so when you get out the door, someone's going to be there to welcome you in. That's what he's trying to figure out. And in that, The owner says, wow, that was pretty creative. You took from the desk to the door, and you did some good creative thinking in that. You're still fired, by the way. (laughs) You ain't coming back, but pretty creative thinking on your part. And then Jesus makes this point, such a powerful point in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And Jesus says this, for the sons of this world are more shrewd, more wise, more prudent, more creative in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is making a really powerful statement right now. That our broken world is more creative, more wise, more prudent than dealing with the broken world than we are with bringing light to the broken world. You see that? He's looking at his disciples and say, look at this story. This, this guy who, who is really dishonest and, and broken in every possible way, being separated from his job, is more creative than you are in telling people about who I am and the glory of God. Wow. <laughs> Jesus, slow down. Like the story was kind of confusing on its own, but then all of a sudden you throw that at me? He's leading us to take this idea that that we need to see their creativity not for what they're being creative with, but there's something that we can learn from this world, but we need to apply it to the right things. This verse, uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrased the Bible and what he wrote as the message, and he writes it this way, I want you to be smart in the same way, but for the right things. And I love the way he wrote that. I want you to be shrewd and creative and wise and prudent, but I want you to do it for the holiness and the glory of God. I want you to find that creativity and steward the glory of God and what God has blessed you and given you and asked you to to manage on his part for him, for his glory, in the same way for the right Things, and that is such a powerful truth. And it just makes me pause going, are we doing that? Or are we holding on so tight to what we feel is defining us? Our wealth, our privilege, where we live, the lifestyle we've chosen to live in, our salary, the right job, the perfect job, the right house, the perfect house, the right car, the perfect car. Are we holding them so tightly, that actually we've lost all creativity in what God, we could do for God, for his glory with what he's given us. Because none of those things are bad. Whether you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year, it's not about the dollar value. It's about the eternal value of what you do with those things. And so as Jesus walks through, he's kind of pointing his disciples to understand this. And then he goes on in verse 9 and says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of this unrighteous wealth. Take this, these things that have, this world has produced, but the things that I'm blessing you with. Yeah, provide for your family. Provide for yourself. Make sure that you're, you're living out and doing right by your, by your spouse, by your children, by your parents, by, by your friends, by your neighbors. But do it for my glory So that at the end of the day, when you celebrate with me in eternity, that you can welcome in all these other people with you because you stewarded, well done, good and faithful servant. You stewarded what I've blessed you with in a way that says, I've glorified God with all that he's given me. I've lived open-handed with everything he's given me so he can abundantly provide not only for me but through me for his glory and for his good. And he's helping his disciples lead that because his disciples have been raised up in a world that doesn't speak that kind of truth. His disciples have been raised up in a world that is really telling them that, hey, deal with your money and make sure you're holding on to it tightly because you never know, it might go away Tomorrow. You might lose everything tomorrow. You might go out in your boat. And you might not get any fish today. So you need to hold on tight to what you caught yesterday to make sure. Just hold on. Don't let it open in. Don't care about anyone else. Don't worry about it. Even think about this. When the disciples came to Jesus, when there 5,000 people on a hill, and he said, Jesus, these people are hungry. Send them home the disciples were speaking what they were taught. Let them go take care of themselves. Send them home to their places so they can deal with it on our own. And Jesus said this, nope, you feed them. Well, but Jesus, we don't have anything. All we've got is a few loaves and a few fish. He said, all right, watch what I can do. <laughs> Bring them to me. He raises them to heaven and he, he prays and th- thanks God for the blessing that he have. It wasn't about how many bread and how many fish were in the baskets. He praises God for the blessing that was given and then they fed every single person because Jesus taught them to live open-handedly, see others for the kingdom because Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news to these people. For them to go home only misses, they miss out. On what he has to bring. So the disciples are struggling with this, and Jesus is teaching it, but he's also trying to make a point to his other listeners. Make friends for yourself by what this world has given, so that they may too experience these eternal dwellings. And here's where he goes into this. The one who's faithful in very little is faithful in much, and the one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, if you've not been faithful in what you've been given on this side of heaven, who will entrust you to the true riches, that which will come in eternity? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is calling us to understand this truth. Are we faithful or are we dishonest? Faithfulness or dishonesty follows you wherever you go. If you're faithful, it'll follow you. If you're dishonest, it will follow you. If you get a little bit ahead of it, it will catch up with you. It speaks to the character of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And so Jesus is making a great and powerful point for us. It doesn't matter whether you have much or little. It's about whether you're faithful it's not about little or much. If you're dishonest with it, something's wrong. Something is off line for you. If, if you can't be honest and faithful with someone else's things, how in the world can anyone trust you to handle what could be given to you in the future? There's some big questions as believers we need to ask ourselves. Am I being faithful with, again, it doesn't matter how much you have. Am I being faithful with what I've been given and what I have? And there's a measure in there, folks, that every single one of us can go home and ask ourselves. We can dig into this as life groups. Am I truly being faithful with what God has given me? It's not about the value of what it is. It's about the fact that he's given it to you, and he's asking you to steward it for his glory. Are we being more creative than the world? Christians, followers of Jesus, should be the most creative people on the planet. That's what I read out of this. We should make all the other creatives in this world Look silly because of what we're doing for the glory of God to make much of the name of Jesus. What are we doing with that? What are we doing with that? How are we living that out? How are we stewarding that truth? No servant, verse 13, can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted one and despise the other. And here's a key phrase: "You cannot serve God in money. The word is not should not. It's not a suggestion. Hey, you shouldn't do that. That could go wrong for you. It's a cannot. It is impossible to serve God and money. It is impossible to serve anything else and God at the same time. You must choose who you follow. Go back to the Old Testament when Joshua stood up at the end of his leadership and say, hey, we need to decide, are we going to follow after the world's gods and idols, which honestly is what money is, or are we going to follow after our faithful God? And he makes a very powerful statement in front of the Israelites. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what I can, I can plunder and pillage in the battle. I will always serve the Lord first. I will leave all of that behind and I love the Israelites' response in that moment. They're Israelites, so they didn't hold to it for very long. But in that moment, they said, we will serve our almighty God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And families, families, That's a great question for you to ask, too. To go home today and say, are we truly faithfully serving the Lord? And I want to show you an illustration of why this is important. I'm going to ask my daughter, Sydney, to come up and help me with this as we just wrap up our time this morning. Because there's a truth behind all of this, uh, all of the, the teaching of Jesus in this that I think is an underlying truth that I don't want to miss. That I love it, that God loves us so much that he has faith in us. That that God looks at us and He doesn't see us as feeble or ashamed or unworthy in in a way. He looks at us and says, I desire to have this relationship with you and I want to bless you and I want to give to you, but I want to use you for my kingdom's glory. And so these are just lentil beans, they're small. But God gives us, again, it's not about the amount, but He gives us this thing, these, these moments to treasure and to hold on to, to steward for His glory. But here's what we do too often. We take them and we clinch onto them. We hold on so tight that, that, that we just. I'm so afraid to, to give this up. I'm so afraid to lose it. I'm so afraid that it's, it's not going to really turn out the way. I, I'm insecure. I don't even know why God gave me this stuff. I'm a horrible person. I'm never going to be able to do this right. I'm never going to be able to accomplish it. Oh, what he's given me is so small. In comparison to that person over there, my Instagram friend, I don't even want them to know how little I have. So I'm going to hold onto it so tight to hide it. When we do this, church, this is what happens. Hold your hands more, When God decides to give us more, we miss the blessings of what he's still trying to give us to steward more. And so when we open our hands, there's all just a few in there. We've missed the opportunity to receive God's blessing in our life, to be a steward of something that he goes, I want to use you for this. I love you so much. I'm entrusting this to you. I want to use you for your glory to impact more people, to reach more people for the gospel. And all I need you to do is open your hands and trust me. I'm a faithful God. My faithfulness will always endure. And when we live in that way, when we live submitting and obedient to the Lord, open hand and say, Lord, this is what you have blessed me with. Whatever you want to choose to do, Lord, I will follow. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Lord, I will be more creative than this world could ever know. I will blow out every marketing agency in the world to make much of your name. I will make Nike look like a small company in their advertising because I'm going to make so much of your name. Lord, it doesn't matter about how much is in my hand. I want to glorify you by stewarding it for your glory. And when we live like that, I believe that he takes it. Now, maybe it might be a spiritual gift. You might have the gift of hospitality, and it's like a little bit that's there. He can grow that gift, grow your opportunity to be hospitable to others. Maybe it's encouragement. He can grow your opportunity to be encouraging to others. A whole ministry could begin out of you. Maybe it is a money thing. Maybe he wants to bless you because he has found something rooted in you that you just love to feed the poor. And so, man, I want to provide for you so that you can continue to provide for others who need it. Maybe it's just you own a pickup truck and you're like that guy and now everyone's calling you because everyone needs a pickup truck, right? Like this car is for your glory, God, so absolutely I will throw everything in the bed of it that I can to serve others. It's not about what is in your hands, It's about that the Lord wants to multiply it for his glory so you can continue to make much of his name. And so when your hands are open and the God begins to bless you, you are filled with that blessing and it overflows from you, impacting people around you. And yeah, you have been faithful with little, so now he's going to allow you to be faithful with much. He has given you what was his so that you can expound on that and multiply it through this world, through your creativeness, through your wisdom, through your prudence, to show other people the kingdom of God because your eyes are on what is ahead, not what is now. Church, we need to live that way. That's what the church is all about. The church isn't about the holy huddle. The church isn't about closing it all in and saying, I got the word. I got the gospel. I got the keys to heaven. I'm good. I'm just going to hold on to it real tight. And I'm not going to say a word to my friends about Jesus. I'm never actually, I don't even need to go to church. I, I, just, I can just not go to church ever again because I, I got the golden ticket. I'm just going to hold on to it. And if I hold on to it tight enough, I won't lose it. Church, God loves you so much, He doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to open up your hands because he desires to bless you, but to bless through you. Again, it's not about the value. It's about the kingdom work that God is doing in your life and through your life. I want to see us as a church receive the goodness of God so that we can share the goodness of God to the community around us. But for some of us, we might need to open up our hands a little bit today. And that first and foremost, just receive God's goodness and grace into our lives, maybe forgiveness. Maybe just hear the truth in a different way today. Thanks. So as we move into this time of worship, I want to encourage us both here and at home to focus on the goodness of God, that He has something for you. And it may be for us, it's physically, to open up our hands and say, "Lord." Everything that I have is yours. Spirit, teach me how to use it for your good and for your glory, Lord. Help me to make much of your name. Here's my shame. Here's my fear. Here's my greed. Here's my insecurity. I give it over to you. Lord, I want to be a faithful steward. And let's worship from that position. So will you stand with us and worship today?